I know you didn't realize it when you came tonight, but tonight's a big night. Uh, we, uh, we start chapter 16, which, um, as you know, Romans has 16 chapters. So that means this is the last chapter. And, um, and I'll be done with, you'll be done with me, or whatever, um, by the end of May. And we're going to try to, and I think we can, uh, Romans 16 is a lot of salutation and greeting. But um, uh, it opens with a, on a note of controversy, um, at, least, <laughs> at least our culture's made it controversial, but I'm going to read it to you, and um, we'll jump in. Uh, we're, we're just the first couple of verses of Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, guys, um, 21st century Westerners don't see that as countercultural, but countercultural it is. Um, you know, Jews, and I, you probably have heard this before, I hear a lot of people say this, uh, but uh, Jewish men would wake up every morning and they would pray this, and this is not, uh, you know, a verbatim, but it's uh, pretty close. I thank you, O God, that uh, I'm not a, a Gentile um, and I'm not a woman and I'm not a slave. Um, the, you know, the, what could be worse than be a Gentile or a slave? Oh, maybe it's being a woman. Um, they were grateful that they were not women. Um, And so for Paul to elevate a woman here is completely out of accord with his cultural milieu. Uh, um, He is is counter-cultural. However, um, you know what, 2,000 years later... um, this little passage right here has become um, a, 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 kind of a lightning rod. It has um, it has created a whole bunch of heartburn for a lot of people, and um, and I'd just as soon stay away from it. Um, but that's what happens when you try to teach a book all the way through. You come to things that that aren't as comfortable as um, as as you would like. <laughs> um, the, the, the problem is just with Phoebe, old Phoebe, you know, thanks a lot, Phoebe. Um, Phoebe has caused a lot of trouble. And um, the, the reason that she has caused a lot of trouble um, is the description of her uh, in verse one. I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Um, let's see if we got this thing. It never works. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, Guys, I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson tonight, and you're going to walk out of here saying, that was some of the most boring information that I've ever had to endure uh, in a church setting. But I I, I want you to know there there is a little reason I I say this. Um, The the, uh, (laughs) uh, diakonos. Um, the word that is translated servant right there is the word diakonos. Um, sound like anything? 
Um, you know, there's the word, there's a, there's a derivative, uh, it's in the same cognate family, diaconia, the diaconate. Uh, this is the word from which we get our English word, deacon. Um, and um, I commend to you, uh, our sister Phoebe, a deacon. Now, do you, are, you, are you ready for the controversy? I mean, do you see the controversy now? Um, that a woman is called a deacon. Um, in the church. Now, gang, gang that, that little statement, I, you can't imagine how many books have been written about poor old Phoebe and the troubles that Phoebe has caused us as to the role, the, the, the larger picture has to do with the role of women in the church. And that's what I would just as soon avoid. Um, it also opens up the whole discussion of Church government. And you would rather get a root canal than, than have to deal with church government. And I, I don't blame you. But, you know, here we are. We're trying to study through the book of Romans. And there, you, there it is. And I'm telling you, there, if you're not familiar with this little controversy, and, and, and really it's not one of those, um, uh, it's kind of an intramural controversy. If you know what I mean, it's, it's among brothers. That is, some who say that, that Phoebe was a, a deaconess. Uh, Leon Morris, for instance, says that, uh, uh, that Phoebe was a deaconess. John Murray, another um, uh, stalwart in evangelicalism, says no, she was not. And so this controversy is just, uh, you know, what is the role of a woman in church? Guys, I really don't even know where to start, um, because I don't know whether we start with with church government, or whether we start with, uh, with uh, other passages that are very difficult to deal with, um, but I thought I'd start with a with a Greek lesson. You know that, that that'll bore you to tears. Then you won't listen to the rest of what I say, and everybody will leave happy. Uh, you know, and we won't be uh, arguing over the women and the role of women in the church. Let me show you something, um, gang. Most of us who believe that the Bible is God's word, which I, I, I consider myself one. Um, there is an interesting statement in Galatians 4 uh, that says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. I think it's Galatians 4.4. 4. And, the, and the idea is, in the fullness of time. What, what was being meant there? What, um, what circumstances existed that made it um, commodious or um, beneficial or appropriate to send Christ then. In the fullness of time, at the exact moment, at the right time, God sent forth His Son. What were some of those things that made that particular time uh, ideal? Well, most of us would say is that uh, one of the things that made the time ideal is the existence of the Greek language. Huh? Because the Greek language is so, normally, it is so exact. Uh, much unlike the English language. It is exact. And so you can tell, um, you can tell whether the, 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 the words are singular or plural. You can tell whether they're feminine or masculine. You can, um, because of the exactitude of the Greek language... Um, that was one of the things that made the time so fitting or appropriate for God to send forth his son, okay? Um, now, in the Greek language, normally, that, 
That's an Omicron and a Sigma. Uh, normally, that is a masculine ending. Okay, let me give you um, anthropos. Anthropos. I mean, you know what that word is, anthropology. Um, um, you know, you've heard of that. We get a lot of words from anthropos. Well, that's the Greek word for man. And you see what's on the end of it? An omicron sigma. Because normally, the suffix on a masculine word is an omicron and a sigma. And so you can tell things about the word because, and, and, the, and the English language won't, won't uh, serve you that well. Let me show you the word for woman. Gune, from which we get our English word gynecology. That wasn't funny. <laughs> I mean, what's the matter with gynecology? <laughs> I love my gynecologist. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, but the, the, the normal ending in the Greek language that is feminine is that. That's called an eta. It's, a, it's kind of a long A. Gune. Um, and that's the Greek word for woman. Normally, normally, if you, um, I mean, if you find something with, a, with an Omicron segment, it's a masculine, and something with an eta, it's a feminine, word, a feminine noun. Remember, you, you conjugate verbs, you decline nouns. Did you know that? Okay, um, the word that is found in the Greek text, the, the exact form, is this. If you had a Greek, by, by the way, that's not a V, those are ends, those are news in, in the Greek language. Um, if you had a Greek New Testament sit in front of you, and you were open to Romans chapter 16, verse 2, you would see that exact, that's a kappa. That exact word, right there, you'd see it. That's the, that, I mean, that's just a derivative of the root word. I mean, this is the main word. Um, and this is just a... Actually, do you know what the accusative is? Uh, accusative, um, I think. We have the accusative in the English language. You have the nominative, you have the nominative, you have the genitive, and you have the accusative. The nominative is the, you know, usually the subject, and the accusative is the direct object. Remember any of that? Or did y'all let that stuff go uh, once you got out of uh, eighth grade? Well, in the, uh, in, 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 when, you, when, you, when you study Greek, you have to learn all these little things, you know? Well, the, the point is, this is in the accusative. It's a direct object. Um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Do you see that? I mean, it's a direct object. I'm commending to you, here's the direct object, Phoebe. A servant. It's in the accusative. That's that we can. That's easily. That's uh, that's easy to deal with. Uh, it's in the singular. That's easy to deal with. But then we come to this. What does that tell us? Because normally, this is a masculine, and this is a feminine ending. If I can tell you that this controversy would be solved. If I could tell you that that word right there is in the feminine, then immediately the controversy would be over. Because we'd have 
Phoebe, a deacon with an feminine ending to it, which means she's a deacon. She's a deacon S. But guess what? <laughs> I told you that one of the reasons that, that the fullness of time was the existence of the Greek language because it was so exact. I have never seen this before. I'm, guys, I, <laughs> I looked this up. I got out everything that I could drag off of my shelf. This is the word that's found in the Greek text. And it is the nominative, nominative, excuse me, that's wrong. It is the accusative, singular, masculine, or feminine. It can be either. And thus, the controversy. Because of that, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I, I, I hope that wasn't too terribly boring for you. But that's why the controversy exists. Because this little ending, uh, uh, I've never seen this happen. It's the same ending for the masculine that it is for the feminine. So consequently, this word is very vague. Whereas most of the time, words in the Greek language are very exact. You can tell. By the way, if it, was a, if it was a masculine, then the controversy would be over. If it was a feminine, the controversy would be over. But it's both. It can be translated both ways. Consequently, 21 centuries later, the church is still trying to figure out whether a woman should be a deacon or not. <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder if God did that just to keep us, you know, debating things, I guess. Um, guys, um, chapter 16 in the book of Romans is an odd one for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that it's odd, uh, in verse 1, you find the word church. You see that? And, and this is kind of unusual when I read this. This is the first time that Paul has used the word church in the t entire book of Romans, and in this, fifth, in this fifth chapter, he uses it five times. He's never alluded to the church, but he's alluded to the church now. That, that might have something to do with the argument. Uh, notice this. Uh, she is being commended, um, and she's being introduced to the Roman church as probably the one who was carrying the letter from Paul uh, to the Roman church. Um, Paul mentions her first. Before he gets to this whole long list of, that we'll look at next week. Um, um, she probably did not travel alone. She was a woman. Um, she probably didn't travel alone. But the, the people who accompanied her, men perhaps, are not mentioned. Only the woman is mentioned. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you can say what you want. That is countercultural. In Judaism, when men, when men were dominant and women were devalued, if nothing else, I mean, it could be worse than devalued, but for Paul to recognize this woman like this is wowie zowie. Um, I guarantee you, anybody who read the, the letter to, to the Roman church and saw the Apostle Paul commending a woman 
as a servant and, and probably, as I said, the one who was carrying the letter, not the men. And what a treasure she carried, this letter. Um, that would have been, that would have, that would have sent a buzz through the church. Now, um, of course, we've come 21 centuries and we, we are all more sophisticated now, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just trying to tell you that culturally, this is quite a statement. Uh, he calls her uh, a sister. No, nobody would do that. Paul is elevating... You, you know, by the way, Paul is called by some a woman hater. And yet, the great... I mean, he's the same one who said there's no male nor female, Greek nor Jew, bond or slave. That was Paul who said that. The woman hater, you know? He wasn't a woman. In fact, and here you see him. And by the way, this is something I'll say next week, but the number of women that are mentioned in this chapter, it's just, it's shocking. Because, you know, the, um, the temple wouldn't even let the women in. You know, they had a court of the women. You remember that? I did that last week. It's, you know, they, they could only get so close because they were women. And Paul is saying, he is elevating this woman and is calling her a diaconon. Now, what does he mean? I just told you. It's hard to say. I, I, uh, I wish I could, you know, make it definitive for you. Uh, I, but I can tell you that one word has evoked a whole lot of ink. Um, the word can be used in a couple of different ways, guys, uh, as you might expect. Um, it can be used to refer just to any kind of ministry of service. Uh, in, in the broadest sense of that term. Um, or it can refer to the specific office of deacon in the church. That is, she occupied an office or she performed a function. Now, before we go any further with this, let me say in my mind it really doesn't matter. Uh, it really, it, 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 um, it doesn't matter because the Apostle Paul has shown Phoebe, Phoebe such honor and, and, and prominence and has recognized her for, his work, for her work in the early church. And that says volumes. Um, now, but because, you know, you pay me a whole lot of money to, to try and explain this book to you, we're going to jump right into this little controversy, which, you know, uh, it won't, it won't, um, it won't, um, <laughs> it won't help you deal with your depression. <laughs> it won't help you deal with your financial problems, but it does, it is a text that, that I want to face. Okay, the word can, has got, is kind of, uh, um, it's got two, at least two usages. It can refer to the broader scope of just something service-oriented, or it can refer to the office. Let's talk about this office for a minute, okay? Because so many of you are Baptists. I mean, you know my friend Jimmy Latimer says that everybody in Memphis is a Baptist. You're a Roman Catholic Baptist, or a Methodist Baptist, or a Presbyterian Baptist, but you're all Baptist. Um, and in and, and, and the Baptist world... 
Um, a deacon is one thing. Can I get an amen, Jim? Jim from... <laughs> He's my resident Baptist. Um, uh, but in the Baptist world, the word deacon means something that it doesn't mean in my world. In the Baptist world, the word deacon is the guys that run the church. Right? Right. In my world, that ain't so. And very honestly, I don't see how in the world they ever came to that position. (laughs) Because the New Testament is so clear about two offices of leadership in the church. Now, let me just point that out to you, and and then we'll we'll take another couple of steps. But um, would you turn to Philippians chapter 1? Um, all right, all right, guys. <laughs> um, I, I know that I, I know that church government doesn't just really turn your crank. I don't blame you. But let me ask you this: What do you think most churches split over? Church government. Now, I know you don't really give a hoot as long as everything's going to be peaceful, and everything is peaceful here. But, uh, guys, uh, when church government is fouled up, uh, that's when people begin to mistrust, and there begins to be nging, and, and just all kinds of ugly things. So, we're going to, you know, I've got another, I don't know, what is that, uh, 17 minutes with you, and then, uh, not that long. And then we won't, we won't do this anymore. But, guys, look at Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You see that. All right, see, this creates another. You see the word overseers. That Greek word is episkopos, from which we get the English word episcopalian. Now, keep your little finger right there. And find Titus chapter 1 real quick. Titus chapter 1. I know you're just pleased as punch to be doing this, but um, Titus chapter 1 verse 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, yada, yada, yada. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's servant must be above reproach. Now, here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. The word up in verse 5 is the word presbuteros. Uh, and, and appoint elders, you see, that's the word presbuteros, from which we get our English word presbyterian. All right? Um, he says presbuteros in verse 5, and then in verse 7, he says for an overseer, and it's the Greek word episkopos. The point is, Paul is using the word presbuteros and episkopos interchangeably. An overseer, a bishop, an elder, all the same thing. You understand that? Now, with that in mind, you go back to Philippians 1, and he says, um, uh, Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the overseers, or the elders, and the deacons. Now, one other little line of argument, guys. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he is giving you the, um, the uh, qualifications of elders and deacons. 
All I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, is the New Testament, very clearly, if it teaches any government at all, it teaches a government of two offices. Um, and I don't know whether where you could biblically promote anything other than that. Now we're gonna we're gonna go further with this because guess what? Well, we'll I'll, I'll I'll let you make that application and I'll address it later. Uh, okay, first of all, we're talking about two offices: the office of elder, the office of deacon. All right, you got that? Now, the question is, was Phoebe in that office? Um, What is the office of deacon? You remember that? You remember where that was uh, begun? Go to Acts chapter 6. This is when... um, um, uh, When the the office of deacon was created in Acts chapter 6. Uh, and it was created because of a dispute. You remember that? Um, look at there. It's the uh, great. I'm in um, chapter six, verse um, one. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows uh, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables." You see what happened. There's a, there was a problem. The, the church was expanding, and uh, the, the, uh, the food distributions or the, the benevolent distributions were going out unequally. The Jewish widows were getting more than the Greek widows, and so there was a complaint. They brought it to the apostles, and the apostles says, listen, uh, we can't be handling this stuff. Uh, we can't neglect. Um, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty, etc., etc. There's the creation of the diaconate, right there, ladies and gentlemen. And it was created for a particular reason, because there was a need that was going unmet. And that need had to do with the practical meeting of some needs uh, that exist among some widows. Do you see that? Now, the first occupants of this office were all men. Now... When you go to 1 Timothy 3 to look at the qualifications for a deacon. Well, I'll tell you what. Go over there. Go to 1 Timothy 3. And you'll see um, uh, 1 Timothy 3. Yes. These these are the qualifications for an elder. And it says that an elder. um, uh, There it is. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be an above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, what does that tell you? Um, It's hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife. But look over at verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So what does that seem to suggest to you? Now, guys... Um, before you completely tar and feather me, um, there is a wonderful statement over in 1 Timothy 2 that I'll leave to your discovery uh, once you're out of this building um, that has to do with Paul's disallowing 
um, certain roles to women. You know where that is? It's verse 12. <laughs> you can go mess with it yourself. Um, it seems to me, it seems to me, that the, the only limitation that is placed upon a woman Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, I am a relic. Um, The only limitation is the authoritarian teaching and leading role. That is the office of elder. I would say to you that based on Romans 16.1. And I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, I know you think this is boring, and I know that you think, well, I don't give a flip whether the, 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 the ending is a masculine or a feminine. But when people take the Bible as seriously as, as we do around here, you know, like you do, then these things are, I mean, you, you just don't want to do things that are just Oh, I don't care what that says. And so, because we do care what it says, this is important. And I would suggest to you that because of that ambiguous ending to that word, that women occupying the office of deacon is allowed by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Now, um, there's a lot of people who agree with me, a lot of people who don't. But years ago, I I think I've told you this story before, I had an idea based on that verse, based on Romans 16.1. I wanted wanted to let women, I I wanted women to take up the offering on Sunday mornings. I think we'd be in a whole lot better shape financially <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if we let women take it. I mean, I'm all for that. I, I just think that would be great. Um, you know, that $200,000, it'd be gone in a heartbeat. Uh, but anyway, you know who taught me out of that? A woman. <laughs> Cindy Cole. Um, she said, Jimmy, I understand what you're saying. I understand that, you know, yeah, I mean, um, it, it's permissible, it's allowable, it's, it's certainly um, politically correct. But it's just one more role of leadership that our men don't get to perform. Now, that's not a biblical argument, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a, it's a purely practical one, but you know what? I thought she was right. So you take the men off of that role, and you put women in that role, and it's just one more way that the church is feminized. And very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, we don't need any more feminization of the church. You know, um, we had that little men's retreat, and, and um, it, was a, it was a good weekend. It was just a real good, and I think every man who was out there would tell you that. And then you came to church on Sunday, 
and you saw 90 men standing up on the stage. And you know what we got all week? Oh, that was, it was from women, too. Oh, that was just wonderful. So wonderful to see the men up there. Just so wonderful. You know, it just I mean, on and on it went. Just, oh, the men, that, that statement it made, just seeing all those. You know, very frankly, gentlemen, you stunk musically. But that's okay. <laughs> um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I mean, you really didn't. I just said that to be cute. <laughs> but it didn't matter what you sounded like because of the, of the visage um, of seeing 90 men, you know. Have you ever heard Tom Jordan sing? Ooh, ooh, that is really awful. Tom Jordan was up there. There was a bunch of them like Tom Jordan up there. But it was the idea of men leading a congregation in anything. And the women fell all over themselves, saying, oh, how wonderful that was. Oh, just great. Well, so Cindy Coe was right, and I was wrong. Now, um, does the Bible allow that? Sure it does. Sure it does. Does the Bible allow women deacons? I believe it does. I am also a huge proponent of there being two offices in the church. And in case you haven't made this connection just yet, let me connect the dots for you. Guess what? Gracie Van only has one office. Dum, da dum, dum. <laughs> well, what do you say about that, preacher? I'll tell you what I'll do. You come back next week, and we'll talk about it. Let's quit. <laughs> Our Father, I do pray that you would lead us, uh, that we might have a church that is governed, not, that, that, that not only our theology grows out of this New Testament, but that everything might grow out of it. Our convictions, our government, our definitions, everything. Because ultimately, Lord, we sit beneath it. We are criticized by it. We don't criticize it. In this law, we meditate both day and night. And we, along with the psalmist, love your law. So where we are out of accord with it, O oh God, would you help us to get back in accord? And would you lead us in... Um, in all of our decision-making, such that it might reflect that we are men and women who walk in the fear of God. Not the fear of being condemned, not the fear of being kicked out of the kingdom, but the great fear and reverence that comes from knowing that our God has an inflexible hatred of sin, and we would not dare toy with sin because his eyes are too holy to even look upon it. Might our eyes be trained in the same way. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night. See you next week, Lord willing. <clears throat>